0: Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. We are the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools and we're here on 3CR at 12 noon every Saturday to defend and to promote public education. That is education that is public in purpose. It's also public in outcome, public in access, open to all children, teachers, cleaners, you name it. There's no requirements uh, placed upon entry into a public school. All comers welcome and there should be offence to none. As well as that public schools should be public in ownership and control. They're the only ones for this reason that should be public in funding because they're the only ones that can be publicly accountable and uh, they're agreeable to be publicly accountable, which is more than we can say this week for the Catholic Education Office. But they should be provided by our governments throughout Australia, first-class public school for every child that wants to go and be enrolled. And we know that this is not happening anymore. Why? Because there's another system, a denominational system, that never accepted the fact that the state should be in education accepting to hand over taxpayers' money so that they could do whatever they wanted or make a profit. Education for sale. And after all, now in this market economy with the market laid up in heaven and never to be questioned, education is now an industry which is covered by free trade agreements and our children's inheritance is up for sale. Now, the dogs have got a website at www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info if you want to find out more about us. And we put up a press release most weeks. And here is press release for 590. The state aid debate that's the debate about funding of private schools, private religious schools, which the Labor Party thought was dead. Sorry, it's alive and well in Victoria. And wishful thinking is not reality anymore for the Victorian Minister of Public Education. I don't buy into this private school versus public school dynamic. I just don't buy into it at all. The Minister for Public Education, Mr Molino, told The Sunday Age on the 15th of March. And if you want to go and read all about it, then you can go to the age of that date. But Mr. Molino and the Premier Daniel Andrews is confronted with a public education lobby, annoyed at his pandering to the private system and betraying the principles of Gonski's funding reforms such as they are the public education lobby, that's the teachers, the parents and others, are outraged that the government's first major legislative act on education passed Parliament last na- month enshrining in law, not just that the uh, private schools should get $120 million for capital uh, works, but a guarantee for private schools to get at least 25% of the funding that the state gives to public schools. Now, this 25% link is determined by the cost and the level of need in the government system, which has 80% of disadvantaged students. Uh, 12% of disadvantaged students are in Catholic schools and only 6% are in the so-called independent schools. Oh,
2: can I stop you there, Jean? Hello, so sorry. sorry, listeners, it's Robert here. She's making a very good point. 80% of students with disadvantaged students... 82%. Are in, 82% are in the state school system. And how, how many did you say were in the Catholic Twelve percent. Twelve percent of disadvantaged and disabled students are in Mm. the Catholic Centre. And how many in independent? Six percent. Do you know what? I'd say it's even less. And do you know why I'd say that? I'd say that because the Catholic Education Office and the schools that it runs on behalf of the Catholic Church have the ability to kick out anyone they like. They are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of this country and they can just disenroll anyone they like. And I'd I'd put money on it. And I challenge anyone to disagree with me. I'd put money on the fact that the so-called disadvantaged students (laughs) who are in the private school system, who are in the Catholic school system, who are in the independent school system, are comparatively low-needs. They, well, they would cons- be comparatively low needs and they'd be there as a matter of what they would term as charity because that would be the values that they would that they would espouse and they'd have lovely disadvantaged students in their schools but they'd be quite low needs ones and they'd be very happy to say that they've got them there because it allows them to espouse some sort of value system that the private schools wish to promote, but certainly not so that it would disadvantage the school's um, marks and all that sort of stuff. No, they wouldn't necessarily disrupt the functioning of the school.
0: Well, we all know what's happened to Well, I will
2: tell you the values, the ones that I value, are in the state school system who do take those 82% of disadvantaged students, and they do so willingly. They do so willingly because the values of the state school are, as Jean so often says, to provide an education... As well as you possibly can, with offence to none. With offence to none. It is, in fact, the values of the state school system to take all comers, to take all comers, not to exclude. With the
0: result that uh, the uh, graduates from our state schools are really worth knowing because they know about all kinds of people in our community and they haven't had their um, desire to learn hampered in any way with um, so called. Mm. Indoctrination, And that's of not just
2: your opinion, Jean, although it's a very strong opinion, and it's an opinion garnered over many years working in this. Oh, field. There's a lot that's of evidence. That's a fact. Jean. No, that's a lot of that evidence. That is a fact. What you're stating, Jean, is a fact. It's not just an opinion, it's a fact. State school graduates at tertiary education in all works, walks of life are not only people worth knowing, they're people worth employing. They're people worth contributing to what we call as this great nation of Australia. Sorry to interrupt you, Jane, because what you're saying is very important.
0: Well, the education lobby in Victoria are outraged because for every dollar that a government school gets from the state... And the state runs education and is responsible. And Mr Merlino is responsible for the resourcing, the proper resourcing of our state schools. The so-called non-government school system gets 25 per cent Absolutely, absolutely outrageous. That's on top of all of the money that they get from the Commonwealth, regardless of how many disadvantaged students they actually have enrolled. And this, according to critics, is completely out of step with the Gonski reforms that Labor championed for years. So Andrews and Molino believe that before any money can flow through to public schools, the privileged in the private sector have got to be paid off. So they're not that much different Mm. from Mr. Napthine and Mr. Dixon at all.
2: Oh, not at all, because the Liberals actually voted for this as well. The Greens did not. Hmm. And the sex party didn't. The
0: sex party didn't. They're very interesting, that lady from the sex, sex party. party yes. <laughs> I,
2: I think we should get her on the show in weeks and months to come. I think she's got some interesting things to say about education and not just sex education.
0: No, no, no. But on the other hand, on the other privileged side, Molino is still confronted by a dismayed private school lobby who are there ignored by the legislation too because it's requiring them to provide the Education Minister with detailed reports on how their funding is used. They're never satisfied. They want the money, but they don't want to account for it. Absolutely not. They're complaining not only about accountability to the state and federal governments, but now they're also accountable to the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, which the Senate has not yet allowed Mr Abbott to abolish. And the Roman Catholic sector in particular have really come out in their true colours against the Charities Commission.
2: Tell me more, Dean. What what is this about the Charities Commission? Can you tell me why it is that the Catholic Education Office, and indeed probably the independent school sector, don't want this Charities Commission to to be having a look at what they're they're up to?
0: Um, The Catholic education sector, but even all of the independent school sector, get state aid. In the form of taxation expenditures, that is, tax that they don't have to pay, taxes that they're exempt from. And large amounts of their endowments come through their um, playing the real estate market. They have a great deal of very, very valuable properties. Yeah,
2: but if a. If a and they don't have to pay instance, any taxes on this. Wesley College sort of goes out and. and Spends a lot of money buying some property for for which it gets money back to to benefit the people at Wesley College. You're telling me that they don't pay taxes because they're a mm, charity. Correct. What about Scots College? Same. What about what about MLC? Same. What about Yarra Valley Grammar? Same. What about any Catholic school or any Catholic education office across the no great? No stamp duty.
0: No no stamp duty. No land tax. Uh, no GST. They're exempt from all of the tax uh, all of the taxes. No income tax. Um, because they are labelled a capital C charity.
2: That's ridiculous.
0: However, however, the Charities Commission would draw in all of the evidence about what they're not paying tax for, oh, okay. and they would have to put in financial statements to the Charities Commission, as you have, and I, and so the, that they can continue. Um, the Charities Commission in England and elsewhere mm. um, are in charge of labelling a group of people or an institution or an organisation charitable with a capital C. Okay. And this gives them all of these taxation advantages.
2: So, for instance, like the but Red Cross.
0: Yes, then yeah. they keep yeah. an eye on them as well.
2: Okay. So, so for instance, if, if Wesley College um, goes out and has a vast, property which they sell for let's just say let's just example 10 12 million dollars and then they get the money from that sale of the property which the Wesley College own.
0: They Um, argue it's for educational purposes and education is one of the four heads of
2: charity. Okay so when they do that not only do they not pay tax on it but they don't let us know how much tax they haven't paid. No, We're no. not even allowed to look at their no, books. No, no, Even though they are funded by the taxpayer. No, no. Because Wesley College, I, I happen to have done the figures on Wesley College. That's down here in Melbourne, here in, here in the East of Melbourne. They get, on, in recurrent funding, over $6 million every year from the taxpayer.
0: And now, now Wesley College have got enough money, uh, probably our money, one way or the other, to be in the market to get the um, property uh, that Pran High School wants, namely the deaf school. Oh, because it's next to Wesley College, but Wesley College can offer more money than the state government. Now, Mr. Merlino and Mr. Andrews have promised the PRAN that they ha- will put about $20 million, I think, into getting or having a PRAN high school, which a was closed. Yes, yeah, state high school, which was closed a long time ago. It was a very good school, PRAN high school. Oh, of course it was. It uh, was a state school, wasn't it? Yes, that's yes. correct. And... Um, So the the parents in that area are demanding a state school and they, they said that they promised this before the election and they are trying to move on it and they're looking at the deaf school which has come up on the market. But Wesley College are really in the money, much more so than the state government, and they are also wanting this property. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. The deaf school is actually next to one of their other properties, and they want to expand.
2: Well, do you know what, Jane? I've got something to say about this Paran High School business and Wesley and the deaf school getting sold, (laughs) because if I was a listener out there living in the catchment zone for a, at the moment, mythical Paran High School... I would be all for the building of the high school, and I'll tell you why. It would be in my enlightened self-interest. In fact, not even enlightened Mm. self-interest, my direct selfish self-interest, and I'll tell you why. Because there is in Melbourne, at the moment, a phenomenon, and it's a phenomenon that involves that thing which so many people are obsessed about, which is property values. There is a phenomenon that relates to property values and state schools, because state school zoning in Melbourne, particularly in eastern Melbourne, but not exclusively, has a direct and significant positive effect on the value of the properties within that school zone. Now, I've been doing a little bit of research, not in the A's, not in the Herald Sun, but in the Real Estate Institute's guide onto property values. Now, this is stuff that real estate agents read in terms of what a property should be worth. And they've stopped looking about street values and trees. The one thing that matters... In Melbourne
0: it's a good state school Is a
2: good state school Not a good school A good state school Because if you've got a good state school That you can send your child to And you happen to live in a house In the zone for that school You will get yourself a premium For the value of your property
0: And they're like hen's teeth State schools are like hen's teeth In the eastern suburbs of Melbourne
2: That's right And I The private say,
0: schools never wanted them Anywhere near them
2: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, because I've got got the figures and the data here, and this is from the Real Estate Institute. If you are in the zone for Brunswick Secondary College, you will get yourself a premium for your house. Northcote High School is the same. Princess Hill as well. Fitzroy High School, Collingwood College, and Lionel Hall Community School also have, even Lionel Hall Community School also have premiums for the properties in their catchment areas. And then, of course, there's University High School. But not only that, in Box Hill... In Box Hill, the property prices in Box Hill and Box Hill South have gone, I wouldn't say through the roof, but they've increased almost up to 20%. And do you know why, Jean?
0: There's a Box Hill High School there, and there are other high schools as well. Now, some of them were closed. Mm,
2: and now the ones that are remaining, mm. in particular, in, in, yeah, in particular, property values have increased in the Box Hill area because at the Box Hill High School, there's a good principal. Like the school is... The word gets around. The word gets around and it's all about money. And so if I was living in Paran right now and they were going to build themselves a high school and I was sick and tired of paying $25,000 a year to send my kid to Wesley or any number of the other private schools that are in that area, I could save myself a lot of money if I lived in Paran by not paying the private school fees and sending them to the Paran State School and the value of my house would go up very substantially. So people of Paran, I can see why there would be some self-interest about getting a state school open. It's sad to have to talk like this, Jean, isn't it? Yes. It's sad to have to defend the values of a state school system by talking about property prices. But that's what we've come to. That's the world we're now living in. And it's worth reporting on. We're giving financial advice here on the Dogs Program. It's kind of strange that we have to. But a good state school, a good state school benefits a community. A good private school does not.
0: You see, what has happened is that the state school system, our public systems have done such a wonderful job over the last century that the parents of children remember and they know that this is the best place to send their children uh, but they're even prepared to pay taxes for this they realize that mm. mr Abbott is wrong when he says that he's got a he's got a debt problem with his budget and he doesn't want to bring in any more taxes you're hearing again and again okay let's talk about paying taxes for a good health and education, education. system yep and um once you and, and on the other side molino is now in trouble with both the public education lobby that want their Pran High School and um, also want to have at least at least a proper needs policy on the Gonski model, large numbers of them are saying, well, don't fund these silly private schools anyway and let's get the money back.
2: Oh, don't fund the silly private schools. And that's
0: the dog's position. It, it's a
2: waste of money, Gene. It's yes, a waste it, of money. If you're giving 25 cents for every dollar, if you're giving 25 cents to a private school, this is what you said in your press release, if you give 25 cents to a private school for every dollar you give to a state school based upon the state schools need to deal with disadvantaged and disabled students, that 25 cents doesn't get spent on the disadvantaged and disabled kids. No, it gets spent on a brand new building or indeed put into the marketing campaign for the private school because they're a business. Or a new school
0: somewhere else. Or a new mm.
2: school. Maybe you want to build a school in, in, in the middle of the city and spend $52 million buying it like Halebury
0: College has just done in the
2: last month.
0: Mm. Now, Waste of money. Waste of taxpayers' money. Yes, well, of course, the real problem for these so-called independent schools is that Mr Molino wants to know what taxpayers' money is being spent on. People are sick and tired of the uh, arms race of resources in the private sector when even the private sector parents who are paying enormous amounts of money are really just not getting their dollars' worth.
2: Of course they're not getting and their the dollars' And the
0: taxpayers worth. aren't either. So um, he, he's brought in this legislation and the Catholic Education office is furious. The last thing they want to do is to account for public money. So perhaps they had better come to the terms with the fact that he who pays the piper finally wants to call the tune, and the um, auditor general is just there in the backdrops saying just what is really going on, because ordinary people can see that all is not well when these private schools are um, giving resources to children who are really quite ordinary children who aren't are producing very ordinary results at both the secondary and the tertiary level, um, there's something just awry, something really awry in, in the state um, finances and the way they're being used. And a whole generation of children are in danger of being sold out. So um, I find this very interesting, and that's our press release uh, 590. Now, I know that you've got some very interesting material there that you want to discuss, Robert. Oh, it's been so a very interesting
2: you. week in education, both in terms of um Around the world, certainly here in Australia, <laughs> I and mean, there's so much to talk about and there's so many very serious issues. We are now living in very interesting times. But you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and Jean has just been outlining her press release for the week, which is press release number what, Jean? 590. Which you can access. It's, it's there for you. You can go to our website, which is www.adogs.com. Info. That's www.adogsinfo And not only can you get that press release, but you can get all the other 500 <laughs> puns before it.
0: And also the other information. And you can go down to the bottom of the press release and come back to 3CR and listen to the bod- podcasts of previous uh, programs.
2: That's right. Because if anything we say shocks you so much, you've got to hear it again. You all, almost always can because you can get our podcast at the 3CR website. Well, having spoken about what's happening um, here in Australia, I'd just like to sort of cast our, our eyes, cast our minds on what's going on around the world. And the reason I say this is that we've been talking about the education of your child. We've been talking about the education of individual children. But I think there's some very interesting research being done by economists and researchers around the world that are about educating the children, educating the children of Australia. Because as we often say, what's good for my child is often good for my child at the expense of someone else's. And when it comes to state education, it's about making sure that if my child gets a good education, that does not damage the educational opportunities for the child living next door. Now, talking about this, there's two themes that we often discuss here on the DOGS program. One is about if you divide the children up based upon racial or religious, or economic grounds, you end up with a much more divided society. Mm -hmm. You create a new generation where children from various backgrounds have never spoken to each other as they grow up, and so therefore they're likely to become much more hard-line in terms of their attitude to the metaphorical other, Mm -hmm. not just outside of the country but within the country. And mixed schools, putting the children together, which is all you can do in a state school because a state school has the the proper... (laughs) I would say proper, but the right thinking values of taking all, educating all and being offensive to none. And there's an interesting press release from Trevor Cobalt at the Save Our Schools who addresses this issue directly. And it's not just him, because he's been, because he's a very interesting fellow, he's been looking at scientific studies that have been done on this effect. The idea of mixed schools making a much more socially tolerant society. Now, young people in schools with ethnically diverse classrooms are likely to have more favourable attitudes towards immigrants, according to a new international study from the Institute of Education at the University College London. This is at UCL. Mm. Now, this is particularly true when there are many second-generation immigrants in the class, not first, second, the children of immigrants. Mm. Now, more ethnically mixed classrooms could thus make um, students, like native students, native Australian students, or oh, indeed native English students if you live in England, much more tolerant. And this is the research done by Dr. Hyun German Janmutt, who actually led this study. He argues that the findings have important implications for policy makers and school leaders who make decisions about school admissions. Now in Australia, because we have an almost unique situation where about a third of the population have been segregated out into schools which do not have this policy. If you go to a Catholic school, you've got to be a Catholic, and you've got to have a certain amount of money. If you go to an independent school, you have to at least present as as believing in the religion, because so many of these independent schools, not all, but so many of them are religious, you you have to partake in their religious observance, and of course you have to have significant amounts of money. Now this study was actually published, the one about... If kids are educated together, then it's much more or harder riser for them to be racist and stuff. This study was published in the European Sociological Review and examined the relationship between classroom ethnic diversity and attitudes of the um, Indigenous students, of of the native-born Australian students, or in this case the native-born English students. And those are students that are described with family roots in the country in which they're being educated. And it just came up with a very obvious conclusion that if you want to have a more tolerant society, you put the children together. It is so difficult to jump up and down about, oh, the terrible people from this country or the terrible people from that country, if you've actually grown up with them. (laughs) Because you know that people are people. Some you like, some you don't. The colour of their skin, the language they speak at home is not necessarily relevant. So there's some research there that actually just in a very simple way, just a very powerful way, if you ask me, tells you the values of state schools are the values that a government and a society should support. Anything that gets in the way of separating children out on the basis of their religion or income is in fact something that in the long term is actually a significant problem for any country that chooses to do that. But not just in terms of social cohesion, state schools are good. State schools are good because it makes good Sense, it makes good economic sense. And there have, in fact, been two recently published studies showing that inequity in education, that is, putting all the poor kids with the poor kids and all the rich kids with the rich kids, is a significant factor which holds back economic growth of any nation that chooses to do that.
0: Yes, the OECD have been very busy, haven't and they? I noticed that the Save Our Schools people. Have uh, reproduced or referred to uh, these various reports that are just proving this and australia yes. again is, and again australia's and again. walking into into nonsense yeah. territory on this level
2: i mean if all you can suggest is if the way Molino is behaving here in the state by just giving free money to private schools and the way the Abbott government is talking about it, well, not even not even having a needs based Funding policy. For
0: Pine, privilege, only privilege exists for these people.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, equity is not a question. There's no problems with lack of equity in Australia. Yeah. Pine and Abbott have come from yeah. very, very, very limited backgrounds, I'm afraid.
2: Oh, and i tell you what, Christopher Pine's is at the moment, it, it's an embarrassment. Yes, I mean, he's, I mean he's just embarrassing himself He, he should just go now He's an embarrassment
0: I've, to Australia yes. I've never
2: met the man But I find he presents as a very dislikable And smug and smummy person But that's just a personal judgement But what he's actually doing And what he's actually done Is just destructive I mean it's actually just not good for the nation And I think I don't care what political party you support <laughs> um, What he's done and what he's is doing Is just destructive And this can be shown Just in a very very simple way again Now, I've spoken about equity and the state school system and I'm talking about the economic benefits of the state school system, which, as Jean was mentioning, is is, is just there in an OECD report which has just been released, and also the expert network in economics of education, a think tank sponsored Mm. by the European Commission, has come to exactly the same conclusion.
0: Yes, here I read that the OECD... study shows that the gap between the rich and poor in OECD countries, of which Britain and Australia are one, and also America, is now at its highest level in 30 years, and it has significantly restricted economic growth. The evidence strongly points to education as a central factor in how inequality affects economic growth. Income inequality undermines educational opportunities for disadvantaged individuals, lowering social mobility and hampering skills development. The paper says that policy should focus on increasing the education and skills of people from disadvantaged social backgrounds. Um, it shows that the richest 10% of the population earn 9.5 times the income of the poorest 10%. And in contrast, this ratio stood at 7 to 1 in the 1980s. That, of course, was before um, you had the new right really taking over um, the, uh, the free trade agreements throughout the world and um, before Mr Hawke and Mr Keating and later Mr Howard deregulated our economy and put us out onto the market to sink or swim. And we've swam for a bit and we've sunk for a bit. We've swam for a bit and we've sunk. For... Now we're sinking. And it may not be for a bit. So um, this this ratio between uh, the top 10% and the lower 10% has been rising ever since they did this. However, the rise in overall income inequality is not only about surging top income shares. Often incomes at the bottom grew much slower even during the prosperous years, and they fell further during the downturns, putting relative and in some countries absolute income policy on the policy um, agenda. So um, you've got economists and political economists like Joe Stiglitz understanding that what is happening uh, because of the privilege in education And the mismanagement of taxpayer funds uh, is very, very bad for the future of the economies of the OECD countries. Now, this is not happening in the Scandinavian countries. Oh no, of course not. Germany, Germany realised that it was starting to happen in two thousand, and they've turned it around.
2: Oh look, if your education system's in trouble, what do you do? You fix it. How do you do that? You get a minister in charge who's responsible for it, and he fixes it, or he gets sacked. It's just that simple. Anyone who needs to fix the country's education system needs to get put their nose to the grindstone, educate as many people as well as they possibly can, because that's what education is supposed to be, and if they don't do the job, sack them. If the government doesn't do the job, change them, and make it a genuine political issue. The reason we don't do that in here in Australia is that so many people think, oh, it's not important because I can buy my way out. I can get an advantage by sending my child to a private school and so it doesn't affect me, so it's not an issue. This is national stupidity. This is not something... The taxpayer shouldn't, shouldn't be funding this. If you want to send your child to a state school, go for your life.
0: It's a reversion into aristocracy.
2: I mean, it, it's the opposite of a free market. This, this is a strange, strange taxpayer-funded sort of system that's designed to create design, designed to create an underclass. But, I mean, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about our Federal Education Minister, Christopher, Christopher Pine, because he's been in the news <laughs> so often, and I know it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel to say that he's not doing his job properly, but I think what he's done has actually highlighted a very significant issue, which we've spoken about here in The Dogs many times, which is if you privatise an education system if you hand it over to a church or some corporation, then the first thing you do is you say the purpose of education is not to educate the children. The purpose of the education is to make money. Now, Christopher Pine said, he said it many times, that privatisation is good. Competition is good. If you have more competition, you have more privatisation, then by definition good things happen. He is wrong. He is fundamentally and demonstrably wrong. He also says that the vice-chancellors of the public universities, because he's talking about tertiary education funding and privatising the tertiary education system so that, so that universities can charge much higher fees based upon what, what they think the public's willing to pay in a privatised tertiary education environment, um, he's saying that the vice-chancellors all think this is a good idea. Well, firstly, that's not true. Because the University of Canberra's Vice-Chancellor, Stephen Parker, has actually called for the resignation of the Education Minister. And I think he's done it for good reason. Professor Parker says there's now a case for a change of minister, he says, because Christopher Pine has been so acrimonious in the handling of the deregulation issue. He says, deregulate universities or I'll take away all scientific funding. And he says, oh no, I'm going to change my mind, I'm not going to do that. That is the sign of an incompetent minister. And Professor Parker, who is a Vice-Chancellor of the University of Canberra, is quite happy to say that. And he said, well, if you're going to split up the bill into two half-sized objectionable bills that are no different from one large objectionable bill, in my view, then it makes it no better. Now, Professor Parker has actually been the lead critic of the government's higher education reform agenda. I'm reading now from an article by Emma MacDonald, which was published in The Age, on March 18th. And so I'm quoting from the article, and I'm quoting him. He says he's relieved on Tuesday night, just gone, when the Senate blocked the the deregulation bill and has now questioned whether Mr Pine could work constructively with the new sector, given his record. Oh, it's interesting. They can sack public servants. By, for, for not working constructively, but I think the minister should go. Because that's the minister's job, isn't it? The, the, min- the minister is responsible. The
0: minister has been elected, however, by people, and mm. he should be responsible. No, I think that what is fascinating about Mr. Pine and Mr. Abbott is that they're not truly conservative people. Mr. Cameron in England is honest about what the conservatives are in education. He says that they are there to look after the privileged classes. The conservatives are put into power by the privileged classes and interest groups. He talks in terms of interest groups. Mr Abbott and Mr Pine are not prepared to say that. They're just not prepared to be honest with us and say, we are here to look after the interest of the privileged interest groups in education and if you listen to the um the vice chancellor from sydney university who's been on the abc quite a bit pushing the legislation um you'll see what he means a very very strange person he makes me ashamed to have been a, a sydney graduate to tell you the truth it was a meritocracy when i was there but um and, and that's not necessarily a marvellous thing, a meritocracy, but it's a bit better than um, this market uh, in tertiary education that they're talking about. But the real problem started because they withdrew money from the uh, mm. universities. Yeah. They need another $20 million. And the populace are saying, if we need another $20 million, then tax us or put up a taxation for it. And this is the one thing that the Conservative, so called, or Mr. Abbott, doesn't want to do. Mm. Um, it, it, and it, that really, you know, they are making um, a crisis in university education by withdrawing money mm. and, and screaming that we are, are in trouble don't, financially. Yeah, but don't tax me,
2: don't tax me and then use those taxes and On give the it private to private sector. To, to give it to a private corporation to make money.
0: By, well, if they, if they took some of the money from the Catholic, the Catholic universities oh. and also the private universities, Bond and Company, then they'd get their money. Oh, There's no need to have That's private right. universities which are religious yeah. universities or got got making
2: a, profit. If you've got a Catholic university, the Catholic Church pays for it. That's, it's in the name, isn't it? No, no. Similar. It's
0: so-called public university. And as you oh. can see, it's growing like, like Topsy.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well... What I have to say is that if you're going to privatise the university, make the case that it's going to be better because we have in Australia an education system that has been almost totally privatised and it's the TAFE system mm. here in Victoria. And what's criminal. happened in criminal. the TAFE system here in Victoria is criminal. It is, it is a situation, and I'll tell you because it's now starting to come out, and i tell you it's not just in the TAFE, it's in universities, where Victorian TAFE teachers because they work in a privatised environment, have a great deal of pressure to give pass marks to incompetent students because that's how the college makes their money. Now, the Australian Education Union, the TAFE president, Greg Barclay, says cuts over the past four years have strained the TAFE to the point so that they relied on student enrolments to actually sustain their income. And he says the members of the TAFE Teachers Union or the Education Union who work in TAFE are saying that they are under more and more pressure to pass students who actually aren't competent. Because that's how the money comes in. Now a 2013 survey by the union said that 54% of TAFE teachers felt pressure to pass students who might not actually be competent.
0: And then they don't even have a secure... A secure uh, job themselves. They themselves are on contract, and they don't get their holiday pay or anything. They are just on three month contracts. It's it's really quite extraordinary what what's going on in the TAFE sector.
2: Well, this is actually because the Box Hill Institute of TAFE, which used to have a very good reputation as mm. a really top class place for, for mm. producing graduates, um, has accused the has actually accused the TAFE of altering international students' exam papers to ensure a pass. Bear in mind that international students are the ones that bring in the most money for the privatised process. And they're also alleging that cheating has occurred and had not actually been investigated because that's inconvenient if you have a privatised education system because it means that all oh, well, the money might dry up so we can't possibly have an in- investigation if there's cheating going on. The whole process is geared not for the benefit of the students, not to create competent graduates, not to create competent electricians and plumbers and people who work in various areas that the TAFE the TAF produce. It's for quick profit. It's for quick profit and nothing else. It's like putting putting a property developer in, in charge of town planning. It, it's, just, it's just craziness. And that's not what should be happening in something as valuable and important as education is to Australia. Because if our money isn't coming from digging it up out of the ground, our money's going to come from inside the minds of our children. It's going to come from the entrepreneurial skills. It's going to come from the sheer educated might of people coming out of Australia. And at the moment, we're doing our very best to shoot ourselves in the foot. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Well,
0: let's have a little break and a little bit of music, eh?
2: I think so, Jean. Um, and we'll be back after, after this music. Oh, with love. You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the dial, and Investigable on the webs at www.adogs.info We're here to talk about defending state schools, defending government schools which certainly needs to be happening at the moment with all the interesting things. You have to laugh, don't you? All the interesting things going on. Many of them trying to literally destroy through the vagaries of the free market and indeed various forms of religious teachings, which all of which seem to conspire against the poor kids in our state schools. Yes,
0: well, let's talk about these so-called religious teachings. Uh, One of our members, uh, very kindly, has given me this very interesting article from Catholic Education Week in the local paper. And it's the heading, Matters of Faith, and it's got education. Faith has a broad definition, writes Joe Davey, and in, in the middle of the article, there's a little round box that says Australia is largely a secular society. Now, this is what this article says. Just listen. While debate about religious education in Australian government schools continues to rage, its place in Catholic schools has never been called into question. But with fewer nuns and brothers teaching in schools and church affiliation on the decline schools are finding it more and more difficult to sell the Catholic faith to their students. Therefore, it might come as a surprise to some that the traditions of other faiths have been brought into the modern Catholic classroom. Interfaith education has gained momentum in the past 20 years, according to Sister Megan Donohue, Assistant Principal of Our Lady of the Sacred Heart College in Bentley. Where once the religious education curriculum was limited to texts and traditions from the Catholic faith, some classes are now used to open students' eyes to those of other religions. OLSH runs two religion units that specifically address the ideological framework of other faiths, and the Year 11 Text and Traditions Unit introduces texts from the Buddhist, Islamic and Jewish faiths and examines their attitudes towards broader issues in a society. And at year 10, students hear from guest speakers who identify with different religions and are exposed to various places of worship as part of their unit, religion and society. And she says that this decision to incorporate interfaith education is non-negotiable. It comes down to that fundamental principle of human dignity and that every single person finds connection with God and the sacred through different pathways, she says. Now, this is very interesting because this actually is the position taken by the people who are opposing specific religious education in state schools. Mm. But... My understanding was that the reason that we had Catholic schools, the reason that we have to give these billions of dollars every year to the Catholic Education Office, and it is billions of dollars, was because they said that they couldn't send their children to secular schools that had children of every faith. Uh, with offence to none, but that they had to teach their own particular faith in their own particular way, in their own particular schools. So Sister Donohue is actually giving us a very, very good reason for just taking over these schools. Oh, we already right. pay for them. Yeah, of course we pay for them. Let's take them over. They're no longer specifically Catholic schools, excepting that they're um, administered from the Catholic Education Office, who gets billions of dollars from the government,
2: and we don't know. We don't actually get to find out what they do with those dollars, as well, as well, from what you were saying before. Janet. Well,
0: we're finding out from Sister Donahue what they're doing in matters of faith. So um, I find this all very interesting, and um, I think it is perhaps time, since uh, there, there is a tolerance afoot in these schools like Sister Donahue's school, that um, fine. We take them over and they become state schools because this is what state schools are about. They are open to all children with offence to none.
2: Yes, well, actually, I've got some very interesting news uh, by the people you're referring to. One group... Called fairness, fairness in religion in schools, have been onto this. Not about the way faith is taught in Catholic schools. They actually have no questions about that because it's a Catholic school. It's on the door. The clues in the you know the clues in the name. Well, we thought it was mm, indeed. Um, but in state schools, because there is religious instruction going on in state schools here in Victoria at the moment, and fairness in religion in schools thinks that it shouldn't, and they've been having a very successful campaign just to find out exactly what's going on. But there's been a very interesting development. And it reads, this, this what I'm about to tell you, it, it's like it comes from a Kafka novel. It really is. It, it's, it's about that sort of learned helplessness, which Seligman used to talk about back in the day. Now he talks about positive psychology, but I hmm. won't go into that. Um, because they're actually providing us, the general public, and of course the furious community, with an update on what's actually happening with these religious instruction volunteers' approvals to work in state schools. Now, as a good, you know, regular listener to the dogs, you're probably aware that Ferris holds the view that historically special religious instruction volunteers have never been approved by the Minister of Education or any delegate of the Minister of Education to actually operate in our schools at all, which has in fact been required by law under the Education Act way back in 2006. Now, the Department of Education and Training actually know this, and that's why Access Ministries, who are one of the main providers of religious instruction in state schools, and other providers are at this minute, and this is inverted commas, re-accrediting, re-accrediting and retraining each and every one of their volunteers in order to be able to submit their application to the minister to have these volunteers approved. Now, the DET, the Department of Education and Training, has consistently designed... Or it's denied, I should say, that the approvals have never been done, but has never been able to provide any paperwork to substantiate the claim. They have told us that the approvals exist, but they've never been able to prove it. So, FIRIS, Fairness and Religion in Schools, and the lawyers that, that work with them find this position by the government agency to actually be incomprehensible. So, what Firis did was they did a Freedom of Information request for the documentation to support if any approvals for SRI volunteers have ever been granted.
0: This was under Mr Dixon's um, administration. Mm, indeed. Oh.
2: Now, when they did the FOI request, a few days later they were issued from the Department of Education and Training a Notice of Intention to Refuse. So the Department of Education is refusing to provide Ferris with any documentation to prove that these people were accredited, even though they said they were and even though everyone knows that they weren't. Now, Ferris of course, were expecting this, but we know that no documentation actually exists. So, But they did feel that the Department of Education and Training has been particularly creative when coming up with their excuse as to why they cannot provide this documentation.
0: I oh, do tell.
2: Apparently it takes too much time. There is nothing held on the DET computer system, apparently, that would enable a computer-generated report to be made because apparently all approvals prior to last year have already been archived and it's actually too difficult to find them. <laughs> this letter throws up more questions than it answers. Are they and telling I'm us that the department here.
0: wasn't computerised uh, a couple of years ago? Well, be- a of-
2: before last year. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. I'm actually getting this information from the Ferris uh, website, their their Facebook page. They actually have a copy on their Facebook page of the letter that was sent to them by the Department of Education and Training. And it's absolutely <laughs> – uh, at, at the end of this, they say they invite Ferris to consult <laughs> on the matter – and we're discussing this option with their legal advisers. That's what, that's what the theorists are doing. I, I just I just think that's fascinating. There's
0: some really very, very interesting quotes, I'm sure, in the Bible about this kind of situation.
2: Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> I, I think the Department of Education Training would quite like theorists to go away and probably fight quite like the, um, the, the SRI volunteers to go away because it's a massive problem for them.
0: Well, the various um, people aren't going to go away anytime no, soon. The dogs aren't going to go away anytime soon. The other um, uh, public uh, education... Groups in Victoria aren't going to go away soon. I feel very sorry for Mr. Molino trying to so balance the Catholic Education Office on the one hand and the public education people on, on the other, other, including Mr. Ken Boston, who won't get on the same platform with no. him.
2: Who Ken Boston was one of the architects of the Gonski Review. Yes. He doesn't mm-hmm. hold views entirely similar to the dogs, but at least he's got his heart in the right place. Good on you, Ken not standing on the same stage as someone who obviously does not have the interests of the children at heart, that person, unfortunately, and I had such great hopes, didn't I, Jane? Unfortunately, um, that is our Mm. current Education Mm. Minister, James Molino. I cannot back him if that's the sort of thing he's going to do, just give free
0: money away to private schools for no good reason.
2: It's economic irresponsibility.
0: Well, I think that if you look back over the history of education in Australia, certainly over the last uh, 60, 70 years even, and especially with secondary education, you will find that before the crumbs can go through to the state schools or the public schools of this nation, those in the privileged positions, whether they are after the uh, Platinum uh, Ticket to the good job or heaven, they've got to be paid off and they are a bottomless pit. They will never be satisfied.
2: If what's happening in Australia was happening in another in another country, if we were looking at this in another country, the first thing you'd say is it's corrupt. It's it,
0: already happened in some corrupt. places like Ireland, but it hasn't happened in the uh, Scandinavian countries no. as Trevor or Kabel, in Germany.
2: Trevor Kobold would say, you know, the struggle is long but hope is longer and the dogs are hanging around. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and of course we will be back next week.
0: And if you want to find out more about us, then there's www.adogs.info But bye for now
1: I- in salt lake city joe says i am standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge says joe but i Joe